Welcome to the EverSaline podcast, the show that ignites your passion for leadership and empowers you to develop a culture of continuous improvement. I'm your host, Matt Sims, and in each episode, we bring you fascinating insights and invaluable tips from our incredible lineup of guests. What do they all have in common? They share an unwavering dedication to excellence and are the experts in driving engagement, improving metrics, and reducing costs. The Ever So Lean Podcast with Matt Sims. You know it makes sense. This episode is sponsored by Catalyst Consulting Limited. Catalyst Consulting exists to help people and organisations work better today and be ready for tomorrow. They have a rich history of igniting business transformation using business agility, lean, Six Sigma, strategy deployment, agile and change management. They can help you and your organisation to develop the skills necessary to work and manage differently. To find out more, check out catalystconsulting.co.uk. Welcome back to the Everseline podcast, where today I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Annie Nakfi, owner of the Ultimate Results Group, to the show. Annie's story is as remarkable as it is inspiring. From surviving the 2004 Indian Ocean earthquake and tsunami to becoming a leading voice in executive coaching and mentorship, she embodies resilience, purpose and profound insight. With more than 15 years of experience in C-suite leadership, Annie specialises in unlocking the full potential of individuals and organisations. Through her brilliant coaching, consulting and mentoring, she's guided many CEOs, founders and senior executives towards greater productivity, fulfilment and mental freedom. Annie's here today to unravel the mysteries of understanding and overcoming saboteurs, shedding light on the often overlooked phenomenon of self-sabotage. By addressing these internal barriers, Annie has empowered countless individuals to unlock their full potential, cultivating trust, empathy and conflict management skills and achieve remarkable improvements in work and life outcomes. Helping leaders remember their true authentic selves without the veil of fear, Annie is all about helping people live their best lives. Now, throughout our conversation today, Annie will provide profound insights into understanding and overcoming saboteurs, including the common but often missed self-sabotage. She'll delve into strategies for identifying these internal barriers, exploring their underlying causes and implementing effective techniques for counteracting self-sabotaging tendencies. Annie will also share some real-life examples of clients who have successfully overcome their saboteurs under her guidance. So get ready to gain invaluable insights as we embark on this journey with the wonderful Annie Nakfi. Annie, thank you so much for being here and welcome to the Everseline podcast. Hi, Matt. Thank you so much for having me on. And we've both got a cup of tea in hand, which is very important when you have these type of conversations. It is indeed, definitely. <laughs> I break my day down by when I'm going to have a coffee break. Do you do that? Is that just me? No, that's just you, Matt. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I do. I go, right, I'm going to have a break at 10. I'll have another coffee at 11. Then I'll have another one at 12. <laughs> I keep myself going by it. I even pop over to the petrol station to get myself one of the cheeky Costa Expresses every now and then as well, because they're just so good. Well, mine is herbal tea rather than a coffee, so I don't have the... Really? Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> ah. You've been on herbal tea for long? Yeah, long time. I gave up caffeine a long time ago, actually, because I noticed how it affects my um, my body, mind and, you know, everything. So Interesting. Because obviously caffeine is helping you to pump a little bit of adrenaline into the system so and can kind of give you the same kind of stress response. So the first thing I ask my clients if they're experiencing anxiety, for example, is what do you eat and drink? Because if they're drinking 10 cups of coffee a day, for sure, that's going to be contributing to their feelings of anxiety. But, you know, some people can can drink as much as they like and it doesn't seem to affect them, but other people can be quite sensitive to it. Yeah, I, well, I don't tell you how much I have then. We won't we'll skip over that moment. <laughs> well, you seem to be working, you seem to be doing well on it though, Matt. But, yeah, but you don't see the other side. I think what it does, and I know we're going a bit off topic, but it's quite interesting is that things like caffeine and that build you up and you have the real highs, but then you get the lows back off the other side. So me having a coffee every hour is kind of just topping that up to make sure that I don't exactly. sink down into that low. We don't record that bit. We can talk about that offline, Matt. I can, uh, I can help you out. With <laughs> yeah, that give me some well. coaching, please. <laughs> uh, right, talk to me about you then. So, can you share a bit about your background and how your experiences have shaped your approach to executive coaching and mentorship? It's fascinating. Well, it's an, a great question and not one that I can answer very quickly. 
So I'll try and give you the potted version. And it all kind of started when I did survive that 2004 tsunami. Uh, So I was invited onto the Oprah Winfrey show to talk about how I'd had hundreds of survivors airlifted to safety in the aftermath of the tsunami on the east coast of Sri Lanka, where I was holidaying with my best friend in a little village called Aragon Bay. And I said to her, I know that I must have been saved for a purpose, because I genuinely believe that when your souls come here to do what it's meant to do, then it kind of moves on to the next realm. Yeah. So that hadn't happened, right? I had nearly died a number of times, but I hadn't died and I had survived it. And I sort of had this real feeling of being saved for a purpose, not knowing what that purpose was at the time. Also having a lot of survivor guilt, which is quite common in these sort of scenarios, because almost a quarter of a million people died and I wasn't one of them. So you feel incredibly blessed and incredibly lucky But also this burden of guilt of, well, you know, if all these other people died, I need to make my life count and mean something because, you know, families were ripped apart, other people died. So it's like you've been given a second chance. You need to make the most of this second chance. And that really set me on a path to finding my purpose. So I'd made that pledge and that promise to Oprah on her couch. And then I went searching for that purpose. You know, obviously I had PTSD for a while afterwards, but once I'd overcome that, I was very much sort of looking for this purpose. I ended up in the war in Iraq, working for an NGO, delivering projects and programs to those that were being displaced by the war. Then when I came back to the UK, I joined the UK's largest charity on their senior leadership team and was delivering projects and programs for them. But then I got another, uh, you know, this was a few years after the uh, tsunami, and then I got my own health scare. I had a cancer diagnosis, and I was still pretty young, right? I was still in my 30s. It was a few years after the tsunami, and I had to really reflect on what was important to me at that time. So I decided to leave work to focus on my health, and so I really kind of like focused on my health in the same way that I would a job, yeah, like immersed myself into learning all about everything and holistic treatments and complementary treatments and all of that kind of thing. You know, had a few recurrences as well as a stage four, but I managed to eventually heal myself without doing chemo. And it was really this kind of journey that I'd been on during my cancer diagnosis where I was sort of traveling the world and I was doing a lot of qualifications in lots of different areas. And, you know, so whatever I was doing to help myself with the cancer, whether it was meditation, whether it was mindfulness, whether it was yoga, whether it was acupuncture, whether it was Ayurveda, uh, hypnotherapy, whatever it was, I decided that I wanted to learn it and get qualified in it. Not necessarily to be a practitioner at that point, it was more for my own healing. And then, obviously, when I came out of that period of my life with all of these different qualifications, people had started to gravitate towards me for support and advice for their own things that were going on. And I kind of was doing it unofficially for a couple of years. And then one of the people that I was kind of supporting, again, just with all the kind of mindfulness, meditation, yoga, Ayurveda, all the kind of holistic knowledge that I had gleaned over the years, one of them said that I was more helpful than their own therapist was. And whilst I didn't want to be a therapist, I kind of came across coaching at the same time. And I loved coaching. I don't really see much point. I mean, it helps. I know it helps a lot of people, but I don't really see much point in going back into the past all the time and unpicking everything that's happened. You do need to do that for a little bit. But for me, the coaching of like looking where you are and where you want to get to really resonated. And so I trained and, you know, did my qualifications as a, as a coach at that time. That person ended up becoming my first client. And then they ended up becoming one of my longest standing clients wow. as well. And that's how I kind of got into the whole coaching arena in the first place. Then obviously, with my experience in C-suite uh, leadership and having worked for multiple different organizations in all the different sectors, including private sector, public sector and the charity sector, I realized after a, a few months or a couple of years that the people that I loved working with were the people that had been like me, right? So the kind of senior leaders in an organization, the bit of the type A kind of personalities, you know, go-getters, 
ambitious, action orientated, which are kind of most of your sort of senior leaders and everything. So I sort of then started to niche into that executive coaching arena. And I love working with my clients. And it's interesting because you think that when people are, you know, senior leaders or CEOs and things like that, that they've got everything sorted. But everybody has exactly the same issues, all the way from the postman up to the CEO of a company, which is great. You know, I mean, it just means that we all have that human condition, really. What a story. This is incredible. Like you are a real inspiration and what a brave person you are as well to have been through so many things that could easily break you. Look how strong you are and look what good you're doing. I sit here, I feel like, wow, I just want to gleam off you. (laughs) Thanks, Matt. I mean, I'm not going to lie and tell you it was easy because it was not easy. And there were many moments where I was very much shrouded in my own saboteurs and, you know, went through some very dark periods. You know, I've suffered from depression and all sorts of things in the past. You know, obviously I had PTSD after that. And cancer is another kind of place of stress, Mm. really, you know. But what I can say, and and I'd love your listeners to take this on board, is that really, I've really come to the conclusion that every challenge is an opportunity for growth. And you might not be able to see it when you're in the middle of it, because you can't see the wood for the trees. And, you know, you have to go through the kind of the sort of night of the dark soul kind of thing. You have to kind of go (laughs) through that process in some respects to kind of come out the other end. But I really do feel like I have transformed all of those relatively heavy and big challenges into something that brings me a lot of purpose, a lot of joy. And, you know, I've turned that darkness into light. And then I help other people in that kind of executive coaching, consulting, mentoring sphere Mm. to do the same and to approach the challenges that they're facing, whether it's the loss of their jobs, a lot of people being laid off at the moment, whether it's, you know, the loss of a loved one, whatever it is to, to overcome that and to still strive to be a better version of themselves and to enjoy their lives to the fullest. And I think that's one of the things that really the cancer diagnosis really gave me was this desire to really live your life to the fullest. Because until you really confront death, you don't really truly live sometimes because that fear of dying will prevent you from really, you know, kind of experiencing your fullest potential. Because so many of the things that you need to do in order to do that are very, very scary. But, you know, once you've confronted that, then you and you let go of that a little bit, then you can, you know, kind of really reach that next level. There's a saying, isn't there, that you get two lives. You get the life that you have before you realise there's only one life. Then you get the life that you have after you realise that. And then you go out and you, you know what's important to you and you drive for it. It's really strange, right, as human beings, how we, when, like you said it before, when we're in the thick of something that's really stressful and our minds, we can't see the good in it. We can't see the opportunity within it. We just get absorbed within the negative side of situations. And then maybe years down the line, we look back and we can see the lessons we've learned and, and how it's shaped us. I grew up in a very small town and I moved away from that town when I was 22, 23. And I found that when I go back there now, the people that live there when I live there are still there, right? They're still living in there. They've, they tend to have married people from the same group and they've sort of grown within that group. And they still talk to me or, or treat me like I was when I was that person 20 years ago. Yet I look back on that period of my life and think, wow, I'm a different person. I've changed so much. I've had experiences. I've learned. I've grown. I've developed. I've been in situations where I've learned from other like senior leaders that have influenced me, negative and positive experiences. Yet they haven't progressed and their life is still the same. And I, and I feel that sometimes people are very risk adverse and they don't want to take a chance to learn. They're just comfortable to be where they are. And that's such a shame because you don't live. Well, that's because of those self-sabotaging voices. We have a natural negativity bias, okay, which has been developed because our ancestors needed to know which was the poisonous snake more than they needed to know which was the pretty butterfly. Because of that, we tend to err on this survival brain function and on this kind of fear-based messaging, which is where the kind of saboteurs come in. They say that we have around up to 100,000 thoughts a day, but most of those are running in our unconscious brain and in our subconscious. But as Carl Jung says, until you bring the unconscious into 
the conscious, it will drive your life and we will call it fate. So that means that all of these unconscious kind of like thoughts are kind of driving our behaviors. And these are the sort of saboteur kind of things going on. The negativity bias means that our natural predisposition is to be a bit moany, a bit negative, a bit kind of like uh, unhappy, basically. That's how we're kind of pre-programmed. So if you want to be happy, if you want to experience fulfillment and joy, you have to work at it. So in the same way the doctors tell us to do 30 minutes of exercise a day to be physically well, we have to do 15 minutes of mental and emotional exercises a day to be emotionally and mentally well as well it's not a given right and that's what you'll see that when you're having water cooler conversations you know that kind of thing you know people are generally kind of either moaning about the weather we love to moan about the weather in the UK don't we it's either too hot or it's too cold or it's too gray or it's too rainy we're never quite satisfied <laughs> with the weather but that is kind of like I said we're pre-programmed for that so in order to overcome that you have to do these 15 minutes of exercise a day but also these kind of saboteurs are the negative voices in our head that tell us that we're not good enough or that we can't do that or better not do this because that's scary so most people end up staying in their comfort zones but there is no growth as you've just highlighted there is no growth by staying in the comfort zone it's only when we get uncomfortable that there is growth and uncomfortable can mean many different things. You know, some of the challenges I faced are an extreme form of being uncomfortable, right? That could be different for different people, their uncomfortableness. So it's only when you're really stretching yourself out of your comfort zone that you're then growing as a person. Otherwise, you're allowing those sabotaging thoughts that you may not even be aware of most of us are not aware of these negative thoughts that are kind of keeping us stuck and doing the same kind of thing I mean how many people do you know Matt that they stayed in a job for 20 years which they moaned about constantly every day and (laughs) until they get the boot they don't leave right how many people do you know who do that I travel a lot, for example. I love to travel and I love to live abroad. Uh, The amount of people I've said to me, oh, you're so lucky to do that. And I'm thinking, it's not about luck. It's about a choice that I made. It's not for me to stay in a permanent job, working a nine to five and staying in one place. That is the equivalent of death to me. (laughs) It's like, I cannot live that kind of life. I really stagnate in that kind of environment. You know, I feel much more alive when I'm traveling and visiting new places and living in new countries, all that kind of thing. But a lot of the time, it's the fear that's holding the people back. And remember that we do have two main areas of the brain, which are sort of our surviving brain and our thriving brain. But most people, and you can kind of see this on social media as well, sometimes, on, on especially on Twitter, you can really see people operating in their surviving brain. And of course, all of the kind of news and things like that is all the negative stuff that's going on. But there is an equal amount of positive stuff and negative stuff in the world. But we just kind of the news and social media and can focus on those things a little bit too much sometimes. Yeah, It's really frustrating. We in my house, we call it the bad news. We go on oh, watching the bad news today. The Americans do it well, don't they? They give you all the negative news. And at the end, then they go, and let's go to our reporter who today made a cookie in such and such town. And it was the biggest cookie ever made. There's like one little snippet of nice news at the end. I know. Exactly. <laughs> I find that in a professional environment, I get the 10-year the itch. I'm, I'm quite a loyal individual. And I will work for companies if I'm happy for, for, you know, for up to about 10 years. And it tends to be that the first few years I sort of establish myself and, and grow as an individual. So I'm, I'm in an uncomfortable position because I'm, I'm not used to being there and I get to know people. Then I excel in what I'm doing and I find I tend to sort of magnetize responsibility it all starts coming towards me as much as I try and avoid it. And then after a while, it gets to the stage where I start to feel too comfortable and to myself, I say, I'm happy here. I don't need to leave. I'm really comfortable. But my subconscious is starting then to think, right, you need to move on because of you're not learning now. You're, you're slowing down. You're becoming a little bit stagnated. And similar to what you were saying before, I don't know that at the time. 
But when I look back at my CV now and I look at the period of time, I, I analyze the data and I look at how long I was at companies for and how often I changed roles. There's definitely a pattern in there where when I get comfortable, I get bored. Well, so that's the same for me. When I get comfortable, I get bored, which is why I'm constantly you know, every year I do a new course, every year I kind of branch out into a new area of the business, you know, that I can do, whether it's speaking, whether it's training, whether it's workshops, you know, because if I was doing again, you know, I've been a coach for a few years now, but if I was just doing one on one coaching, I mean, I still love one on one coaching, it's still the thing that I love the most, probably. But if I wasn't adding different elements into my practice, whether it's training, whether it's group work, whether it's the speaking, the podcasting, all that kind of thing, then again, it brings that same kind of like stagnation as well. So it is really important to keep on growing. Otherwise, you don't do what you're here to do. Your soul doesn't do yeah. what it's here to do. And then you just have to come back and do it all over again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, rinse and repeat. So what are the uh, some of the common signs and behaviours that people can look for within themselves that might be a sign that they're sabotaging their own success sense? So we've said about the growth side, but what are the signs that people might notice? So anytime you're in any negative emotion, you are in a saboteur. Apart from grief, which is a genuine honouring of the loss of a loved one. But if you're grieving in the way of why did this happen to me? Why did this person die? That kind of thing. Then that is becoming a saboteur kind of way of dealing with grief. So any negative emotion that you're in is that you've been hijacked by your saboteurs. And the, the saboteurs are the kind of like quiet voices in your head that, like I said, you know, they're telling you all these things that are just not true. You know, that you're not good enough. No one loves you. You're never going to get that job. You're, you're not good enough for this. What it, you know, all of that dialogue. So that's kind of like our inner critic. Yeah, that's the really kind of common one that we all have. Got an army of them all on my shoulder. Yeah, exactly. We all have this <laughs> army. Uh, let me just tell you, I believe we're born these beautiful, pure, wonderful souls. Yeah. Then what happens in our formative years as we're growing up, you can see it in kids very easily, yeah, is that the ego starts to develop that this is mine, I don't want them to play with it, this is my toy, all that kind of thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The ego starts developing. Then, you know, what happens is that, you know, as children, we're, we're absorbing all of the information around us. You know, we're absorbing what our parents are telling us. Money doesn't grow on trees. You have to work hard to accumulate cash. Be careful. Don't put your finger in there. All these messages that we're getting, which most parents are really quite anxious, aren't they? Because they, they want to keep you alive. So you, you're absorbing all these messages unconsciously, right? Then you're also hearing the news or the, the background of the TV or whatever the show is. Maybe it's a thriller. Maybe it's a horror movie. Maybe it's something else. Then you've got the news going on in the background. You, you go to school and then you've got your teachers telling you things. So you're absorbing all of this information. And what happens is that we create coping mechanisms and strategies to survive our childhood and to protect ourselves. You know, it's part of our normal growth and evolution into human beings. So we start to kind of like get these coping mechanisms and defense mechanisms. And, and these are what are effectively, you know, our kind of like the different archetypes that we take on when we're children. And, you know, I don't want people to think that saboteurs are all negative because they are actually our strengths, our core strengths, but when we overuse them, they become our saboteurs, okay? So let's say, for example, uh, as children, we're developing these kind of different, and they're different archetypes, yeah? There are some some kind of common ones that you can pick up on. The inner, the critic or the judge, for example, is the master saboteur that everybody sort of has, that one. A lot of Asian people, for example, they have usually the overachiever, okay, because Asian parents are usually very focused on education and getting the best grades and all that kind of thing. So a lot of Asian people, my Asian executive clients might have the overachiever as one of their saboteurs. They might also be perfectionists as well. That's quite common. And, you know, I would say that leaders in general tend to have one or all three of these, which is the overachiever, the uh, the perfectionist, and also the kind of like take command and control kind of thing because that's a kind of a leadership quality. But they, there's also other ones, yeah? You've got your people pleasers. Everybody knows the people pleaser, right? 
you've got your people who are, you know, they use logic for everything to make all their decisions. They don't, they, they tend to be your engineers, maybe, that they're kind of your over rational kind of people. So you've got all these different kind of types of saboteurs that we can identify within ourselves as well. You know, we, we've also got the victim mindset, for example. So, and, and the procrastinator or the avoider, how many times have we avoided those difficult yeah. tasks that we've got to do? So we've got all these different kind of saboteurs that we could create as we're going through life. And until you really understand what yours are, you don't understand that it's effectively driving all of your your life. Instead of you being in control, these saboteurs are driving your decisions in life. The fear is driving your decision in life. The fear of going out and changing your job and doing something that you really want to do. I mean, you know, I have clients that are contemplating that at the moment, you know, whether they should leave their current roles that they're not happy in to go and pursue other activities. But it's very common that people will let that fear stop them from doing that because it, it is scary to go out there on your own. It's much higher risk, isn't it? But then, of course, there's a greater reward normally as well. Mm. So the saboteurs, you know, are creating all of this noise, mostly in our head. And like I said, most of us are not aware of them. But what I encourage your listeners to do is in order to be more mindful of your saboteurs, when you notice you're in any negative emotion, just pause for a moment and just think to yourself, what was I thinking just before I started feeling sad, mad, angry or depressed, whatever it was, yeah, Uh, frustration, impatience, whatever it was, and just see if you can catch what the dialogue was in your brain that then created that kind of emotion for you because until you kind of understand where things are coming from and what those thoughts are as Carl Jung said we can't really do anything with it we need to bring everything into the awareness and and you know that's actually the the first step in my ultimate results blueprint for example is creating awareness of first of all what are your self-limiting beliefs your self-sabotaging thoughts and voices who is dominant in you? Is it the victim? Is it the people pleaser? Is it the avoider? Is it something else? Then we have to kind of like also be aware of our unique strengths and gifts and abilities because we've all got a hero within us. There's no other Annie Nakfi. There's no other Matt in the world. There's no other person like you. We are all completely unique. And as much as we've got the shadow things going on for us, we've also got all of the positive things. There's nobody else that's going to be able to have this conversation with you in the way that I'm having it, for example. So it's really about acknowledging we what we do is we will delete and we will edit and we will distort the information to fit with our narrative that we have about ourselves. Let's say you grew up with great parents that said that you were crushing it the whole time. I had a client who told me that his parents screw him up saying, you're crushing it. (laughs) And um, so he's obviously got a lot of confidence and a lot of self-belief in himself. Yeah. But let's say you had the opposite and your parents grew up saying you're stupid and you'll never amount to anything. You you know, you're a waste of time. You're a waste of space. You're going to grow up feeling all of that negativity. You're not going to think to yourself, oh, that's my imperfect parent who doesn't know what they're talking about. You're going to believe your imperfect parent, right? So those messages that we get when we're young really make a difference. And, you know, so if you, depending on the generation that you grew up with and your parenting style and all that kind of thing, you know, you'll be feeling different things. But we can unpick all of that. So that's the first step is getting the awareness. Then the second step is really around, you know, really leaning into full compassion and unconditional love for ourselves for all of the ourselves, including the, the what we call the negative or the saboteurs or whatever, the shadow side, but also the positive side as well. Because until we accept all parts of ourselves, we're kind of like, we're never really kind of making ourselves whole in a way. Mm. So that's kind of like step two in my blueprint. Then step three is understanding who you really are, not who you think you are. The saboteurs will make us think that we are less than or that we can't do this or or all of those kind of things. 
So it's really about really connecting in back into that authentic self of yours without that veil of fear that's kind of clouding your judgment and telling you that you can't do this and you can't do that and all the rest of it. And then the fourth step is really around getting alignment with your mind, your body and your soul, your spirit. And how we do that is by working on the mindset first, which is where the saboteurs kind of like live, then kind of connecting into the body and noticing what's going on in the body, and then really connecting in with our soul, our spirit, what brings us real joy, what lights us up, what really kind of like, really kind of like brings that joie de vivre into our lives. Are you ready to elevate your team's ways of working? Are you seeking fresh insights and growth opportunities? Our experts will assess your team's practices, providing valuable insights for improvement and celebration. Reward and recognize your team with this certification tailored specifically for creating an improvement culture. The BQF Academy accreditation acknowledges your journey, outstanding outcomes and future plans. Whether you utilize Lean, Six Sigma, project management, or continuous improvement techniques, this certification celebrates your incredible work and positive impact. Propel your team's performance to new heights with the BQF Team Excellence Culture Certification. Visit www.bqf.org.uk today and let's celebrate your success together. 13-time single prize winner, Dr. Jeffrey Liker and Toyota Kata author Mike Rother have created the Improvement Kata and Coaching Kata online course. This inexpensive, compact program is designed to transform your thinking and approach, making you a highly skilled learner and coach. Engage in deliberate practice to turbocharge your progress. You also get lifetime access to the materials, including all of the bonus interviews. Why pay up to 10 times the price elsewhere listening to some consultant when you can gain direct insights from the masters themselves? Skip the rest and go with the best. Join us today and embark on your journey to excellence. Just click on the link below to start your journey. And then the final step is once you are in a state where you are in ease and flow, where you are fulfilled, you are content, you are at peace with everything that you have, whatever it is, you know, and that could be nothing and it could be everything. You'd be surprised at how many zillionaires are very unhappy because money doesn't bring you that happiness, right? So once you get into that place of ease and flow, that's when you're able to then attract more of what you want into your life, whether it's abundance, whether it's relationships, whether it's job promotions, whatever that is for you, you can then attract that into your life. It's fascinating. You know, when you, uh, and I mean this in a good way, when you find a, a watch a comedian and they talk and sometimes they're like, yeah, they give you the oh yeah moments and you find them really amusing because you're like, yes, that's me. And yeah, that's true. And that's true. And that's true. That's what it's like when I listen to you. Like, there's so much of what you say. It's like I'm ticking a tick list. And when you gave the description of the, you know, the types of people, a couple of years ago, I did jury service and I thought, oh, this is going to be good. Two weeks, not having to control anything, have to manage anything. I can sit back and relax and just go with the flow for two weeks. Within an hour of being selected on the jury, I was in the jury room. And within an hour of that, I was the foreman of the jury and I was controlling the whole thing. I had the pen, the whiteboard, because something within me, even though I was consciously, I wanted to sit back and just go with the flow. Something within me took over. And before I knew it, I was controlling the situation again, which is, it's just me. I was leading it. I couldn't help it. Yeah. So, I mean, that means that you've probably got that, you know, that kind of command and control kind of um, archetype. Like I said, it's not all negative yet. Yeah? The positive side of it is that you you are able to lead. I have that one too, right? That's what got us out of the tsunami. It was the ability to kind of like look at the surroundings, recognize that I was safe and the people that I was with were safe and kind of thinking, okay, well, how are we going to get out? We were stranded in this place. The fifth wave had taken out the bridge that connected our part of the beach with the mainland. So there was no way in or out. And I kind of, you know, I took command, you know, I kind of started to think, okay, what, what are we going to do to get out of here? Having been a former BBC broadcast journalist, 
I was thinking we're going to have to get some press coverage on our plight because most of the relief effort would have probably gone to the south of the island, which is, was much more touristy and in season at the time. And I don't know how, but I managed to remember the number of the BBC switchboard while nearly having ground multiple times. Somebody had luckily had a satellite phone with them. And when I contacted them, you know, obviously I started to give announcements to the, you know, to the survivors that were there to say, look, there's been an earthquake off the coast of Indonesia because I was listening to the somebody had a Jeep as well. So I was listening to the radio and then I was doing news announcements to everybody. And because of all of that, then, you know, I took on that leadership role as well. And at one point, I remember the army coming around later and telling us there was going to be another tsunami and everybody going into panic mode and literally and I remember the scene so clearly because I had this two middle-aged people on each arm that they were literally digging their fingers into my arm and this six-year-old girl that had been in the same hotel as myself blonde hair like her blonde hair was all kind of like matted with all the mud and the twigs from the from surviving the tsunami. Her face was all kind of like um, black and smudged from, you know, again, all the dirt and everything. And she was been crying since she'd come up to higher ground. And her face in particular really got to me because she was holding on to my right leg and clamped on for dear life. And she was sobbing and saying, please don't make us go, please don't make us go. And and I realised that everybody was looking to me to make the decision for them about whether or not we were going to go to this other place, which would have taken us along the shorefront, which nobody wanted to do. Mm. And I suddenly in that moment realised how much people were looking to me to be that leader because I'd taken on that kind of role. But I managed to contact the BBC again and ask them. And I knew that they would have had seismologists on all day. And sure enough, they said that it was false that news that there, there was going to be another another tsunami. So we all, did, you know, I said to everybody, look, it's up to you to decide. But the BBC are telling me that there is not going to be another tsunami. So we did all stay put there. And the next day I then took, you know, I'd taken a register and tried to get people on to the choppers in the order of the severity of their injuries and took the last chopper out on the following day. So I have that one as well. But you can see in that instance, it was a strength, right? Yeah. They they are my core strengths and they are your core strengths too, Matt. I'd argue that you've used yours a bit more than I've used mine, though. <laughs> <laughs> No, you can't compare those kind of things. But um, the thing where it becomes a saboteur, so your listeners might be thinking, well, that doesn't sound very saboteur to me. But the where it becomes a saboteur is, for example, let's say I'm at work and I don't allow my team to do anything without my controlling every little thing that they do. So micromanaging them, for example, or not being able to be flexible with things when they come up then that's a kind of a saboteur kind of behavior. Or I'm intimidating other people with the way that, that I want to do things in this way. And that's the only way. It's my way or the highway. So these are how we can overuse the strengths of the archetypes. And then they become our saboteurs. Does that make sense, Matt? It does. Yeah, it's a real, it's like, it's like a, my brain has gone into a whole new level, <laughs> level unlocked. And I'm and analysing things differently to what I was half an hour ago. <laughs> wow. Okay. So can you give us some examples where you've had clients that you've helped successfully overcome their saboteurs with guidance? How have you done that? It's unique for each different client, Matt, but I'll give you a few of my biggest success stories. Obviously, getting people promotions and getting to the next level of what they want to do and all that kind of thing is is par for the course. I've got lots of clients who have, you know, gotten promotions as a result of the work that we've done together. But some of my more favorite ones are not actually in in, in the professional things, but in the personal life. So I was working with a client of mine, a senior VP and a big tech company and she'd been a single mum for 20 years and her goal was wanting a relationship so you know I was doing executive coaching with her and everything but you know the personal also is part of the professional as well within a couple of months of our working together 
she was then able to attract a new partner into her life. And she just texted me a few days ago to say that they were getting engaged. So, yeah, they've been together for two years now. They just got engaged. And I mean, they are the poster children for being in love. I have to say, they really (laughs) do look like the happiest couple ever going, you know. So that was a real, really beautiful thing because that was what, and it's funny because whenever I've been to her company a few times to do some some speaking events, uh, which is uh, Salesforce, and um, she, so, and and it's funny because when I walk into the building, her team literally bowed down to me. Oh, wow. (laughs) I did so well because they're like, oh my God, thank you so much. You've changed her life and therefore you've changed our lives too. So she's apparently a much better leader as a result of, of the work that we've done as well which you know I mean that is I mean that's really kind of crazy you know when you walk into a building and people are kind of like bowing down to you going like oh do you know what though I've had treatments before for anxiety and um, often I've been on medication or something to support with it and um, when I have like the follow-up appointments the specialist will say to me how have people around you said that your behavior has changed and they use that as a real good measure of success for how other people perceive how you're behaving so clearly similar example there all of those people that work for that individual have noticed a massive difference exactly so you know so that's what a really lovely story I had I've actually had a baby named after me as well from having helped somebody who was again a senior leader but you know there were some issues with the pregnancy at the time and again you know we we sort of worked on on an individual basis on on the different things that I thought would help her to retain the pregnancy not only did she retain the pregnancy and got rid of whatever the health thing was that was going to be potentially a greater chance of miscarrying for example I also helped them to have a really ha- happy, healthy labour as as well. And so much so that she had a recording of one of the kind of visualisations or meditations, whatever I'd done for her in the um, in the birthing suite. So, and I had sent it round to her family WhatsApp group saying, make sure that you play this at the point of, apparently the birth was really, really easy in just a couple of hours. So that was, that's really special because Brilliant. not many coaches get children named after them before having, helped the pregnancy yeah it's so special twins then lots of other you know examples working with clients who you know super stressed out really kind of burnt out basically anxious and stressed out and all that kind of thing and Mm. you know helping them to either get to balance to rebalance and one of my clients not only did I help her get to rebalance but also gave her helped her get the courage to leave her current role set up as a founder of her own business she is this little hot rocket of CEO, a woman, (laughs) female CEO, young lady, woman of colour going out there in the tech industry, trying to create this app for couples to organise their date nights. And currently they're sort of, you know, operating in the San Francisco Bay area and they're with a view to kind of like expanding it out. And she's doing, you know, really, really well. They just launched a project on Valentine's Day. There's so many different examples, Matt. One of my clients was also kind of burnt out but she was also trying to get pregnant at the same time I said to her you're not in the right physical condition to get pregnant if you're so stressed out all the time so we worked on all of that and then I got a message from that client a few weeks ago saying that she's six months pregnant and just got married amazing I mean I've got all the normal kind of executive coaching ones but these are the kind of like real life-changing kind of things that you're helping people to do is in the personal realm but at the same time it's making people a better leader as well because when they're happy in their personal lives they're going to be a better leader they're going to yeah. treat their teams better all or everything it's all it's all intertwined we can't separate the two out anymore presumably you get clients as well that are perhaps more resistant to acknowledging that they've got this self-sabotaging behavior is it harder to work with those clients or do people need to be self-aware for you to be able to work with them I would say, Matt, that most of the people that are coming to me, I will have an understanding of those things. And if they don't work with me, then they don't, if you sort of mean. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. So, you know, because when you have that chemistry call and I kind of talk about all of these types of things, it'll either really kind of the penny will drop for them. And what I'm hearing from you is that lots of pennies are dropping potentially for you as well. 
either the penny will drop for them and they'll really resonate with that or they'll be like no this isn't for me kind of thing so most of the people that I work with if not all of the people that I work with they are committed they they know that those things are happening for them and that Mm. I'm not saying that there isn't resistance because there's resistance with every client which is why I usually work with a client for a period of six months because the, the resistance kind of kicks in around three to four months where those saboteurs that have been running the show for the maybe 40 50 60 years or so resist being let go of they've been running the show for all this time they don't want you to say goodbye to them (laughs) yeah but you so you know that's why I will work with someone preferably for six months or a year so that you know you really by the time that you finish that program with them that they are a completely different person to where they were when they started so it's a journey it is it's a it's a transformational journey and you and you have to be up for that because I'm not just a an average kind of executive coach we're doing quite deep work so you have to be up for that I make sure that people know what they're getting into I kind of tell them all these things beforehand and say look shedding the old is kind of a painful process you know you kind of have to grieve that old version of you as well but still have the desire to keep moving forward I'm not really doing any transforming though Matt it's really just reminding them of who they truly are and like I said not who they think they are it's just kind of dialing down the voice of the negativity and the fear and dialing up the natural innate voice that's within us all and just Mm. kind of like shifting that balance from the negativity bias to the positivity bias you know helping people to find that kind of like joy and peace and contentment you know 70 80 percent of the time rather than just the opposite any kind of transformational journey is a journey there's no quick fix if you're looking at changing a culture within an organization or you're looking at changing behaviors or even if you're looking at yourself in in this sort of instance where it's some self-development and finding the positivity it's not going to happen overnight it is a journey that takes time it takes effort but the rewards at the end of it are so worth it and it's worth putting the effort in. Exactly. Well, I would, you know, ask, you know, do you want to experience peace, joy, fulfillment, contentment, satisfaction, happiness, you know, or do you want to experience being moody, miserable, annoyed, frustrated, angry, all the rest of it, you know? It's me, Anna. You've just described me. (laughs) Which one is you, Matt? The first or the second one? The, the, well, <laughs> depends when you're asking. I would say more the first, but my wife and children would probably say more the latter. I think we're, I'm a blend of both. Well, we're all a blend of both. That's the thing, right? So that's what I mean. We have to work on our mental and emotional fitness to yeah. to experience the more of that joy and that peace, that fulfillment. You know, I've managed to get myself to a point where I'd say 80, 90% of the time I'm really happy and then 10, 20% of the time I'm being hijacked by my saboteurs. Previously, before I did all this work myself, it was the other way around. I would experience joy maybe 20% of the time, maybe 30% of the time, and I would be miserable the rest of the time. Because that's our natural default, like I said. When I understood all this neuroscience, it was a real penny dropping for me. And I was like, I didn't blame myself anymore for being unhappy because I was like, well, I've got this negativity bias. They should be teaching this stuff in schools, to be honest. Yeah. Because I think it would make such a massive difference to people's mental health if they understood these basic kind of constructs of neuroscience and, you know, mental fitness and all that kind of thing. Do you think some of it comes with age? Because I spent so much of my life trying to be someone I wasn't, trying to fit in, trying to be liked, trying to be wanted. And it made me so unhappy because I always felt that I wasn't good enough. I wasn't that person. I wasn't as funny as that person. I wasn't as good looking as that person. And I think as I've got older, I've kind of accepted who I am. I've become comfortable in myself. And now I'm more happy as an individual because of that, because I know who I am and what I am and what my strengths are, what my weaknesses are. And it's me. I am who I am. Well, Matt, can I just tell you that what you've just said about how you're feeling is pretty much common to more or less everyone. So that is how everybody feels, yeah. And yes, of course, age does have something to do with it. As we get older, we get more and more comfortable with who we are. But you'd be surprised at how many people are still looking for that approval from maybe their CEOs or their their owners of the company, whatever. They're still looking for that approval. And it's this kind of like parental pattern that we're kind of repeating in a working environment. We're still looking for mummy or daddy to say, well done, good job kind of thing. You know, and I, I, I was surprised by how many 
very senior leaders still kind of fall into that trap because it's all unconscious, right? When we don't realize we're even doing it a lot of the time, but it is those kind of like patterns that I help people unpick and to become aware of and create that awareness and create that awareness of, you know, why they're getting upset that the CEO hasn't invited them to this function or that function or this meeting or that meeting and how they're unconsciously playing out those same patterns that we all have of wanting our parents' approval when we're children. Oh, it's so true because you do. How many times in my past have I done something desperate for that little word from my boss going, well done, that was a really good job or you've done a great job there or good thought. So many times I've longed for that moment. And and why? Why am I longing for that? That's because of my mum and dad. I'd wait for my, I'd rush home with my school report. Look, look at my school report. Look, look, look. Or come and watch me in the football team. Exactly. (laughs) Well, all of the survival functions of these saboteurs come back to childhood, right? And they're kind of all driven by sort of negative emotions and stuff. You know, you would say, let's say the overachiever, for example, there's nothing wrong with having goals and being ambitious and wanting to be successful. That's your overachievers for you, yeah? But where it becomes a problem, where it becomes a saboteur is when your entire self-worth and feeling of security within yourself is tied up to what you do. And the Americans really suffer from this a lot because they're so much more kind of corporate in their whole, you know, they don't know, they only get two weeks holiday a year. You know, they're, they're meant to sort of, they've fed this kind of story that that's what they have to do and that's who they have to be. But if that's where you're getting all of your kind of internal fulfillment or kind of security from, what happens when you lose your job, when you get fired or you may, are made redundant or you have to retire, for example, you're going to struggle because everything is about what you do rather than who you are. It's funny because if one of the first questions that we'll ask people, especially in the States, is what do you do? Not who are you, but what do you do? Because that's how we tend to... Yeah, you know, we, we do, uh, don't we? Yeah, we, we say, okay, you're a this, so therefore you're like this sort of thing. So it's really curious how these kind of patterns play out. And do you know what's really sad, though, is that my younger self would have judged people by what they did. So if I met somebody and they said, oh, I'm a, a CEO of such and such company, immediately I would have looked up to them, you know, doted on what they said, respected everything they said and believed in them. If they'd have said to me, I'm a rubbish collector, my instant reaction would have been, you're not very intelligent, you're not worth the, the me investing my time in, which is such a sad statement to make. And I hate myself for the fact that I would have thought like that when I was younger. It's awful. I know, but, you know, that's the, the master saboteur of the judge, right? The whole essence of continuous improvement is about respect for people. And until you understand respect for people, how can you ever expect to create cultures and changes within organisations and people? Exactly. Yeah, well, we're all intertwined. We all need each other. You know, um, you said to me before this started, are we competitors? I said, no, we're not competitors because I don't see it <laughs> like that. I see that we are all here to support each other and help each other. And to, you know, the more that we kind of move into the not fear based, the, the love based, the kind of like the, the connection, the things that bind us together are much, much more than the things that kind of divide us. But because of that negativity bias, that's not necessarily what we see in the world. But that's why if we work on our saboteurs and we shed those saboteurs, we can be the person that we want to see in the world. Yeah, I want to live in a world that has got peace and harmony and joy and love and compassion and tolerance. But how am I going to be living in that world? Well, I need to be those things because I need to then model that behavior outwards. And fear is a very low kind of vibration. You can tell when someone's depressed, for example, there's a very heavy energy about them. Equally, you can tell when someone's the kind of the happy person because the room kind of lights up when that kind of person comes in. So this is just about kind of different energy levels and stuff. And But that's also what we're kind of sending out into the universe. The more that you're happy and content and caring and loving and compassionate and tolerant with other people, then that's more of what we're going to send out into the universe and help each other be a better version of all of ourselves and support each other. 
I'm glad you said we're not competitors because I wouldn't want to take you on, Annie. You are a serial <laughs> winner. You're the special one. <laughs> you are just as special, Matt. Wouldn't want to take you on. Uh, last question from me before I put you to the test to see how special you really are. What advice would you give to individuals who recognise that they may be sabotaging their own success but are unsure of how to break free from those patterns? What you've got to remember is that the saboteurs usually are living in your head. It's the overthinking part of us. It's the kind of like the the chitter chatter, the monkey mind in the head. Now, if you are genuinely present in this moment, and that means in your body, present with, like I'm talking to you right now, Matt, there is nothing else going on in my head right now because I'm fully present with you right now. I'm fully embodied in my body. And so I'm experiencing calm, peace and joy. The saboteurs tend to be, like I said, in that noise in the head. So it's always trying to come back into your body and be in this present moment. And there are various different techniques, you know, that you can use to help you with that. Uh, Some are really, really simple everybody's heard of meditation or mindfulness you know so let's say you're in a meeting for example and you can't go off and do five minutes of meditation or whatever but you can listen to the sound of someone's voice very intently and just focus on their voice rather than doing a thousand different things at the same time like doing your emails and also kind of got one ear that's listening and also doing something else at the same time just be really really present and this is unfortunately something that we've lost a lot of especially with the advancement of technology you do not find people being present hardly at all anymore People are, you know, if you see them on the tube, they're scrolling their Instagram feeds. If you see people traveling around, they've got their music and they're kind of doing other things at the same time. But again, if you've got your music on, you can also tune in, not tune out. So again, listening to your music, but really listening properly, intently. These are just ways of creating moments of mindfulness through your day where you are being fully present. A very simple concept that's been done from so many different people, but it's so difficult to put into practice. So that's the struggle that I think people find. But of course, they can always come to me and I can support them as well. Um, <laughs> yes. But um, but yeah, you know, it's about creating that awareness. It's about constantly grounding in to this moment. You can just rub your fingers together, for example, and but you do it with so intently that you really notice all the sensations of your fingers while you're doing it. And again, that's another moment of mindfulness. Um, you have to notice it, you have to name it, you have to name, oh, my saboteur is telling me that I'm not good enough. You have to kind of name it and then you neutralize it just because you think it doesn't make it true, right? So notice, name and neutralize. And then let that thought go and ground into your body and get back into the present moment. And if you want to say the opposite thing to whatever that negative thought is, you know, let's say it's saying I'm not good enough. Then you say I am good enough. I am good enough. I am good enough. So you're retraining your brain and you're rewiring your neuroplasticity. You know, I'm a PQ certified coach. So, you know, we work very much on shifting that neuroplasticity from being all in the surviving brain into the thriving brain. If you work with me, for example, and I was to do a brain MRI image of your brain at the beginning of our program, and then at the end, you would notice there would be atrophy in parts of the survival brain. And there is new gray matter and new neuropathways in your thriving part of the brain. They've done a lot of research on this as well. When they've done brain MRI images of Buddhist monks, for example, there are whole massive regions of the brain that are activated that normal people don't have. And it's because of the amount of meditation that they're doing. But I know that most people don't want to do meditation, so I'm not going to call it meditation. We're going to call it doing your mental fitness repetitions. So in the same way that you would go to the gym and pick up your dumbbells and all that kind of thing, This is your mental fitness reps that you need to do in order to quieten those saboteurs and increase the kind of like consciousness part of you, the the, the kind of thriving part of you more. Well, I'm going to be a changed man after today. (laughs) I mean, I do have a program that, you know, you do an app program as well as the coaching that kind of really helps you to shift that plasticity as well. Um, That's the PQ program, which is kind of designed, you know, in eight weeks to help you start shifting all of that. 
you can do these things um, and they're not as difficult as you think that they are. Where can people go, Annie, to find out about that and more about what you're doing and offering? Yeah, so come and visit my website, ultimateresultsgroup.com. Follow me on Instagram or LinkedIn or wherever you want. And my name is Annie Nackfee. And you can also email me at Annie at A-N-I. So my name is spelled A-N-I at ultimate results with an S group.com. And I'll be happy to, you know, have a discovery call with you to tell you about the program and demonstrate the app as well so that you can kind of really you know, super accelerate where you are and manifest all the things that you really want in your life. Now, I'm going to super accelerate you now and and invite you to take part in the yes, no game. How do you feel about such an invitation? I'm already scared. (laughs) Ignore that saboteur. You could do this. You're on it. (laughs) So you can have card number one, card number two or card number three. Each of these cards has got a different topic within and it will just set the tone of the questions that I'm going to ask you. What would be your choice? Three is my lucky number. Three is your lucky number. Card number three is superheroes. Oh, lovely. I love it. There you go. Superheroes. It's perfect for you. Absolutely perfect. (laughs) (laughs) How this will work is you will hear some very tense music that will put you on edge. I will then fire you questions and you need to try and last the full 60 seconds without saying yes or no. Makes sense? Yes, it does. Right, it's the moment we've all been waiting for. It's Annie's attempt at the yes-no game. Annie, do not say yes or no. Is Batman a superhero? Are you there, Annie? He is, yes. Who is his sidekick? His sidekick is Robin. Uh, In what fictional city did Batman reign? Gotham City. Got to press you, Eddie. Yes, Gotham City. Well done. Can Superman fly? He can fly. Did you say he can? He can. Can you name Superman's alter ego? His alter ego is named. I don't remember. That was his name, yeah. (laughs) How about his love interest? Can you name his love interest? Yes, it is. Oh, oh, Annie, you were like half a second away and then you said yes. Oh, no. <laughs> I was you doing were so, so honestly, well. The music well. Was, you were. You were. I can't believe it. That's the closest anyone has ever come to like just get into that end bit before it going. <laughs> oh. Have you had people on the general minute, yeah? Yeah, but people have done the minute, but I've never had someone who has, has fallen right at the final, like, half a second like oh. that. That was unbelievable. Oh, dear. Well done. <laughs> I did pretty well, though. I was, I was impressed with myself. It's amazing how hard it is. I always liken it to the, you know, when you, when my wife, if we go around someone's house, my wife says to me in the car, she goes, don't mention such and such. And the minute I get there, all I've got is like Tourette's. I've got this word on the end of my tongue and I can't help but say it. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Oh, that's fun though. Thank you so much for taking part. You've been a great sport and your um, the the things we discussed today and your insights have been absolutely brilliant. I've really enjoyed it and hopefully others will find value in, in what we spoke about as well. So some key takeaways then from today's wonderful discussion with Annie. Annie emphasises the importance of self-awareness in recognising negative emotions and thoughts as precursors to self-sabotaging behaviours, highlighting its pivotal role in fostering personal growth. Understanding common inner saboteurs like the inner critic and the perfectionist is critical for overcoming detrimental voices and cultivating confidence and success. Annie discusses the transformative power of mindfulness practices, enabling people to ground themselves in the present moment, quiet negative thoughts and enhance self-awareness for more intentional decision making. This is so evident as well when she explained what it's like in this current day and age where people are always on their phones with their headphones on or scrolling through their their posts and their timelines on their social medias. We don't ever really take time for ourselves to be present in the moment, do we? 
Exploring how mindfulness exercises can reshape neural pathways towards a thriving mindset through neuroplasticity, if that's a word, have I said it right? I don't know. Say that with your teeth in, please, Matt. Well, this leads to increased positivity and resilience. Annie introduced us to her ultimate results blueprint, which guides people through steps including awareness, self-compassion, authenticity, alignment, and finding ease and flow. Annie underscores the importance of connection and support in personal growth journeys, emphasising the role of compassion and community in fostering resilience and collective well-being. Stepping outside comfort zones is essential for personal development as discomfort can serve as a catalyst for growth and self-discovery. Annie said it brilliantly when she said that we don't develop and grow when we're comfortable, when we're in an uncomfortable situation. That's when the learning really happens. That's when we really develop and grow as individuals. Finding purpose and meaning in life provides clarity and direction amidst challenges, aligning actions with core values for fulfillment. Recognising the power of choice in shaping mindset and behaviours empowers people to chart their own path towards fulfillment. And celebrating success is equally as important as everything else we've discussed today. Acknowledging personal achievements nurtures self-esteem and motivation for continued growth and success. Annie's Ultimate Results Blueprint provides a structured pathway for people to overcome self-sabotage, embrace authenticity and achieve personal and professional fulfilment. By integrating mindfulness practices, fostering connection and aligning with purpose, people can unlock their true potential and create lasting transformation in their lives. Annie really did hit the nail on the head when she said our personal lives and our professional lives are intertwined. They're wound together so tightly. Our experiences, our moods, our behaviours, they all link together. And it's only when you sit back and look at it that you really see that happening. Very interesting. That brings us to an end of this episode of the Ever Celine podcast. Thanks so much to Annie for joining us today and giving us such wonderful insights, uh, real-to-life stories, telling us about her amazing journey and telling us some strategies of how to deal with those saboteurs that are in our minds. We've all got them. We just need to deal with them. If you enjoyed today's episode and want more, be sure to subscribe and follow the Everseline podcast on your preferred platform or visit www.everseline.com. There you can catch up on any missed episodes and explore the range of services that we offer, including leadership coaching, lean excellence consultancy, podcasting services, and event hosting and keynote speaking. Take a moment to like and review the Everseline podcast on the platform that you listen on. Your review really would mean the world to me, and I generally appreciate every single one. Right, that's it from me. Thanks so much. And I'll see you on the next episode. And don't forget, Ever Celine, you know it makes sense. The Ever Celine podcast is researched, produced and recorded by Matt Sims. Visit everceline.com to find out more.